30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Whisper, Delight, Seed. That's the reading I drew for this episode using Eric Millar's Disruption Generator, a homespun, randomized, non-traditional oracle. I first learned about the Disruption Generator this spring when Eric reached out asking me to contribute some random items for his new project, Bottomless Bag, and sent me the PDF of the Disruption Generator so I could get a sense of his work. Reading the introduction to his oracle, I immediately sensed a kindred spirit, looking to stretch beyond the occult bookshelves to explore the novel magic of the modern world. As Eric wrote in the intro, although seemingly random, oracular devices such as the tarot or I Ching are firmly based in a system of tradition, history, and archetypal visualization. There are prescribed spreads and interpretations. Like any other systems, familiarity can lead to dependence and creative inertia. The disruption generator has none of this. It is a truly random device rooted in instinct and chance. Consisting of 120 randomly generated words, furnished with illustrations and definitions by Eric, I took to working with the disruption generator alongside Google's random number generator, getting three-word readings like the one that began this episode. Whisper. Delight. Seed. As a wizard long fascinated with the ways choice and chance construct our reality, I'm rather keen on oracles. A flip of a coin, a roll of the dice, or picking a card, any card, invokes the great god chaos and their unruly offspring, randomness. Entire chapters of my life can be traced back to oracular consultations, leading me to wonder where I'd be now if I'd gotten tails, not heads, or drawn the fool rather than the magician. Consulting oracles is likely one of our most ancient magical practices. Casting six, claromancy, studying the cracks that appear after bones are burned, pyromancy, and observing the flight pattern of birds, orthonomancy, all go back thousands of years, if not much, much farther. Daniel Dennett, in his book Breaking the Spell, theorized that one of the essential benefits divination offered early societies was a way to break through indecision. Frequently, making a decision and getting on with it is better than agonizing over the perfect answer. So cultures that learn to slice open a goat, consult its entrails, and make their move fared better than those who spent that time arguing endlessly. Whether you believe supernatural voices speak to us through the randomness, or it's just our crafty pattern-making human minds drawing something out of nothing, I've found my many consultations with oracles to be consistently insightful and illuminating. And while some relish the long-standing traditions behind the tarot or the I Ching with their countless correspondences, I've always been a fan of unusual oracles. 
In New York City, I hung out with a group of diviners who met in pubs to consult oracles over a few drinks. While tarot and geomancy were crowd favorites, I enjoyed divinatory experimentation, reading the contents of someone's wallet to understand what their Jamba Juice gift card had to say about their new job prospect, or using dice and the nearby jukebox to see how some Bruce Springsteen lyrics might shed light on a situation. Whisper, delight, seed. What this says to me is that oracles whisper, soft-spoken and subtle, and learning to tease out their truths is a delight, a joyous and often unexpected connection with both the world and our own unconscious. And the reading is then a seed that we can carefully cultivate into a whole new path for ourselves if we give it the appropriate time and attention. But that's just my take. So let's consult the Oracle's author, prolific artist Eric J. Miller of Outlet Press, to learn how to make an Oracle. Hello, Eric. Devin. Welcome to Ritual Space, my friend. Thank you. Now, this podcast is a time and space spanning ritual that exists in the nebulous virtual world, but this is actually the first time that I've recorded a podcast inside of that nebulous virtual world. We're not in the same room right now. Yeah, we're uh, almost across the country from each other. We're almost across the country, and yet our magic is joining us, and together we're about to vibrate a magic word that will bring you, me, and everyone listening to this into the spell. So what will that word be today? I want to go with chance. Ooh, I love this. All right. Let's take a chance on chance on the count of three. One, two, three. Chance. chance. Why chance? Um, because uh, randomness felt too long. It doesn't roll <laughs> off the tongue quite, quite so well. Chance is a little like sexier too, I think. Like yeah. random is like the older nerdy brother and then chance is like the fawns hitting the jukebox and the perfect song plays. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Leather jacket, sunglasses, all that. Yeah, whereas randomness is like, well, actually it's not technically random unless you're blah, 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 and you're like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Roll a D20 and get on with your life. Yeah. <laughs> How did you become interested in randomness? It's, it's something that I'm really excited to dive into about your work, but uh, just give us a little bit of background about how you fell into that. Well, that one I, I can blame on uh, William S. Burroughs, actually. What can't we blame on William S. Burroughs? <laughs> it, was, it was kind of the, the, the cut-up method that made me start kind of playing with uh, random word generators and stuff like that. So I, uh, I did a couple of attempts at making cut-up books and never worked out quite right. So I just started using random word generators for things. What, uh, uh, what went wrong in your attempt to, to get it random? Uh, wrong, wrong books. Ah. I, I just like book choice is really important if you're doing cut-ups. Yeah. Run, spot, run. You're getting a lot of the same words over and over again. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to get run a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you were cutting up books the manual way. And then tell me about random word generators. Um, well, like with uh, with the disruption generator, I, I just found the cheesiest, chintziest one I could find. Because it was just 
like the the fancier the word generator, the uh, the the fancier the word. So I, I like it when it's just like blunt and kind of trashy. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you can kind of tell how trashy it's going to be just by how basic the website looks like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if there is a, a GeoCities URL and like a little waving flag at the bottom of the page next to the guest book link, you're probably in business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're probably going to get a couple of misspelled words, too. And that's just perfect. <laughs> so I, I, I love that approach because I also think it's really fun to find the tools of our era. And not everything has to be an ancient worn scroll to be meaningful and significant. And so I think that's really cool that you use the digital generator. Um, for my uh, for the audience that hasn't fully grasped what the disruption generator is yet, can you give an overview of what it is and how you use it and how it came into being? Uh, the disruption generator is a bibliomantic oracle that was created using a random word generator. So there's 120 components, which are like tarot cards that are just random words with illustrations that I made to go with the words. Um, and it's a bibliomantic oracle because it's, it's set in a book instead of using cards because I like bound things more than I like the, the shuffling of a card. I'd rather shuffle pages. That's, that's about all I can honestly think of. Like beyond that, it's kind of cheating. <laughs> what do you mean beyond that? It's kind of cheating. I, I want people to be able to define it on their own as much as possible. Like just kind of give them the framework and they make their own house on that frame. That was something that I found very interesting. The instructions are almost anti-instructions in a way, because you're very much telling people that you wanted to strip this of symbol, um, established symbols and guidance and, you know, all of the back and forth that you get into with uh, traditional occult schools. And you give, uh, I think, some really helpful frameworks for people to approach. I, I, there's one where you recommend doing a diary and doing um, like a three-part entry. So doing three card draws and using that as not only a way to consult the Oracle, but to have a record of where were you when you needed to consult the Oracle at various times in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Like having a, having a personal narrative is really, really important, I think. And like the disruption generator seems like a really good tool for doing that kind of thing. How long did it take you to uh, work this out and to, to, to assemble it, to bring it into being? Uh, the idea took me about 30 seconds. <laughs> like I, I, I was given a chance to be a part of a in a in a cult art collective called We the Hollowed, and I had no ideas what I wanted to do, so I was just like, "I'll just do this." And then I spent the next eight months putting it together. Okay, so you're gonna have to tell us a little bit more about this occult art collective. Um, it used to be a Portland-based art collective. It's uh, they used to have um, in-person like rituals and things like that. It's right now the most active participants are me and my, uh, my buddy Keats Ross. Um, mm -hmm. He does a, does a podcast called Prague magic. Um, it's a lot of music. Uh, Keats makes a lot of music. Uh, a couple of the other people make music and it's just kind of like a loose collective of writers, musicians, and artists. Doing like the Wu-Tang clan of uh, randomized bibliomantic oracles, right? Well, well, I'm the only I'm the only Oracle maker there. Everybody else does other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like Wu Tang only had one ODB. You can't have like yeah two Oracle makers. Yeah, who I are you going to consult? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, somebody's got to be Red Man, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is one where you, you got the idea and then it took a little bit longer to execute and, and draw it. Now, I've got to ask, and I hope this isn't pulling the curtain back too far. Is this is the list of 120 words the... Uh, is that honest? Is that the true list that you got? Or did you re-roll a couple of, of ones to see if you could get more interesting things? I re-rolled one. Okay. Which one was that? The word was eigenvector. Wow. I could not make it work for the life of me. I tried. I spent like three days trying to like wedge that in there as something I could use, but it... What is eigenvector? If I remember right, it is a point on a line. Oh, that's a, a fun way to say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and just and just to give people context, I'm just going to read at random some of the words from this uh, from, from the components list. So we have harm, cough, hollowness, crop, zipper, parasitic, bottle, seed, clover, fire, plasma, goat, top, mystical, new, private, parade, crater, and I'll end with guillotine. <laughs> so, uh, what is the what is eigenvector? That definitely doesn't feel like it would fit neatly onto that list. Yeah, no, not at all, not at all. I don't even know why that one was on that list. It's it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> I mean, maybe the list was entirely like that, and you just got lucky 119 times. It could be. It could be. Yeah. Now, do you do you remember what the replacement word was? Oh God, um, I can't can't remember. All right. It's That's, been over a year ago now, so. <laughs> yeah. Now, tell me about the process because uh, you, you drew these, but you also included very interesting definitions because it's, I, I, I've been curious because the definitions are, are actually really nice and I think add a whole nother dimension to this. Uh, where did those come from? Were, were those oh, random as well? No, I wrote those. I wrote those. It was, it was basically the only thing I could control was the art in those words. Yeah. Yeah, I think the three, like the random words split off in two directions. And sometimes there's part of the definition, like it's almost even like a synonym that you include sometimes that I think gives it a, a different flavor and takes it in a different direction. And then the artwork, especially there's words where I'm like, oh, I would have thought of it like this, but like, that's a different way to think about it. And I think it it really um, has been one of my favorite parts about using the tool. Yeah, yeah, I tried my best to like, I mean, words have really obvious definitions. It's just, I like, I want people to think about things in a different way as much as possible. Like it's, it's kind of the idea of taking the mundane and adding a spin to it so people can look at the world around them a little bit differently. What was your experience with oracles before you decided to build your own? Uh, I got really frustrated with the tarot. That's, that's, <laughs> that's about all my experiences. I, I, Got frustrated using the tarot, and I had the I Ching for a while, and I could never quite get that one to work for me either. So tell me about your tarot frustration. That's that's fascinating. Oh, God. Um, there's just so much literature. There's so much to learn. And it feels like like I felt like I couldn't be authentic with it without learning a much, as much about it as possible. Mm-hmm. And it just it hit a point where it's like I read three or four books, and I was like, I... At this point, I can't even make my own definitions for anything. I'm going to look at this and all I'm going to think about is like cross-referencing like the Alejandro Jodorowsky book I read on it and like three other things. And I, it, it's not mine anymore. Yeah. 
I feel like there's some people in this world who are able to jump into Game of Thrones in the final season and be like, oh, just figure out what's going on. And then there's other people who they get recommended Doctor Who and they're like, oh, dear God, I have to start. I have to start from the first episode. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I have to watch I'm, 300 episodes to get up to the thing that like people have told me gets good. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm a first episode kind of person. So. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I understand that feeling of overwhelm. And I think with the tarot, it gets... Um, I've seen specific decks that are, I, I forget what the name of it is, but there's one that is just so burdened with correspondence. It has like a chakra for every card. It has a different astrological sign. It has a different element. It has a different this, a different that, a different like Hebrew letter, like every single thing beyond even what like, you know, the Golden Dawn loved <laughs> a good correspondence yeah. chart, but it was like more on top of that. And someone gave me a reading and I just looked at them. I was like, I fucking hate this deck. And I hate <laughs> this reading. Like, talk yeah, to me like a person. Like, don't be looking yeah. in the footnotes the whole time. Yeah, it's it's too much pretension. It's just like way, way too much pretension. And like, I, I come from the middle, like the Midwest. And I, I like, I like things simple. <laughs> you yeah. know, give me, give me Velveeta and, you know, egg noodles, you know. <laughs> I think that's kind of what the the disruption generator is. Is kind of like the uh, the Velveeta of or oracles, you know. The Velveeta and egg noodles of oracles. You can put that yeah. on the on the box. <laughs> How did you get interested in the occult in general? I'm I'm curious to know your your background that led up to this. Um, I, I've actually been thinking a lot about that lately. Um, I I think it was Grant Morrison that kind of <laughs> opened the door for me. Yep. That sounds familiar. I think uh, occultist of a certain age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was between him and the band Ministry. Ooh, okay. <laughs> because they worked with William S. Burroughs for a couple oh. of their songs, and like, I had a, I had a Ministry T-shirt that had an old man on it, and I didn't know who he was until I started reading William S. Burroughs. That's so interesting. I've only listened to, it's weird. I think I've only listened to the first Ministry album, which is their like synth pop one that they don't like oh, to wow. talk about anymore, but yeah. it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they have some, they definitely have some good stuff in there. They like their music isn't a cult at all. It's just like, it led me to William S. Burroughs and then William S. Burroughs led me to cut ups and reading a couple of occult books. And then Grant Morrison opened a ton of doors what was do you know do you remember what it was of grant morrison's that you uh first found uh jla justice mm. league of america i had that and that led me to the invisibles okay yeah i i remember those jla because uh plastic man was really good in that run like oh god yeah he was amazing like it, it, i i love grant's ability to find a kind of overlooked character and then breathe new life into him and eventually they discover that plastic man is like probably more powerful than superman he's just also insane and i just thought that was i was like yes <laughs> yeah yeah but it's a controlled insanity i think like i think grant morrison wrote him as the embodiment of chaos magic in that book yeah did you ever read um, the other big figure in occult comics is Alan Moore, of course. Oh, yeah. And Alan, Alan Moore had that one Superman story that I think it's like, I think like Superman dies in it, but it was like a one-off and it's Mr. Mixius Pitlick is the villain. And he's like, I'm a being from another dimension. You can't even understand my motivations. I decided to be crazy for like 5 million years 
before that I was good for five million years. Now I'm going to be evil. And like <laughs> today's the day that I switched. And uh, I think he like kills Superman or, or maybe almost does. Yeah. He goes on a weird murder rampage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, I love yeah. that idea of like, I'm, I'm from another dimension. Like if you thought that you understood me, like that's on you, man. <laughs> like yeah. you, you assumed a lot. Yeah. Assumed a little too much. Alan, Alan Moore is really good about that though. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a really interesting thread that you've brought up of uh, the connection between Burroughs and uh, the chaos magic-y workings of Grant Morrison, who is very influential in that idea of lean into the modern world. You don't have to go find the guru on the top of the mountain in the Himalayas. Like You can find the guru in the back of the bookstore at the uh, strip mall. And I think that's a very interesting thread. And I can see how that leads into an Oracle deck that could give you a reading of <laughs> Iguana Trap Astronaut. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, as you develop this, did you start testing it and working with it? I'm curious what synchronicities emerged uh, as, as you've played around with this. Well, it's it's funny. I've mostly just watched other people play with it. Like, it's never worked quite right for me. Oh, it's, really? Yeah, I, I it's never, never quite jived with me like i always get weird readings on it uh define weird oh it's just like almost every time i do a reading i get parasitic as one of the uh one of the components almost yeah. every time and it happens across almost every person i've known that's used it you everyone get par- gets parasitic or everyone that you've used it with everybody that i know of has gotten parasitic at least once or twice in the first couple times they read Oh, that's funny. I, I'm trying to remember. I would have to go look at my notes to see to see if I did. It's. I think it's always funny because I've had friends talk about like, oh, I've never gotten this tarot card. I've done daily readings for like five years and I've never had this card come up. And I think that's the, the most interesting thing about randomness is uh, I remember back in the day when you'd have like your CD on shuffle and then it would play songs in order and you're like, what's going on? Is this broken? And it's like, no, the randomness just sometimes... Yeah, falls sometimes into interesting it, patterns. Yeah, it does exactly what it's not supposed to do, and it's orderly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I like uh, my my buddy Keats and um, a guy I know named Saul have been doing a ton of work with it over the last year, mm-hmm. and they've come up with some interesting things. But they use a different version than what everybody else can get because uh, another friend of mine made three actual decks. Ah, so you can shuffle. Yeah, yeah, and they use those, and they they do like traditional tarot spreads using the disruption generator cards. Oh, that's cool. So it's the same cards. They don't have like you know, it's not like Pokemon, and they have like the silver and gold version that has another sixty components. Oh yeah, no, no, it's the same hundred and twenty. But you could, I mean, you could, you could, you know, you could release starter packs of this, and then you could have like (laughs) everyone's trying to get that rare. <laughs> I can plot or whatever card or whatever the the Mewtwo of your deck will be. Yeah, I might have to Kickstarter that. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember the words that came up for me. I I almost want to go uh, grab my book, but what I found really interesting is I did it a couple of times. Uh, you had sent this to me when I was about to move out of New York and my life was getting disrupted. And mm-hmm. then I was uh, for a while living out of Airbnbs and I kept moving like every month and a half. And 
I was doing readings with it for a while. And there was a lot of times where it was very great at like self analysis. Like mm-hmm. I'd, I'd do a reading just to sort of get stock of things. And then it would almost be like turning over a card and going like, Oh, that's what's going on below the surface with me right now. Like, Okay, cool. <laughs> I, I didn't realize I was actually so upset in this way, but now that I see it, it like it, it's bubbled up to the surface. It's clear as day, and um, it was really fascinating that way. I think even more so than traditional tarot, I was really able to see my own inner state reflected very clearly in its in, in it. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, I th- I think it's the simplicity of the words that do that. Like you don't like you have to think of what it's going to mean. Yeah. So, so it's kind of drawing out, like maybe possibly your own real opinion of what's going on. Now, I'm going to ask you a hard question. Okay. Where, where do you think the magic comes in here? Do you think that there are forces guiding the randomness? Do you think it's randomness itself as a magical force? Do you think it's the user's interpretation? Where, where, what do you see as the metaphysics of of this oracle? Um. I think it really comes from the person using it. I think th- I think the source is the person reading it. Um, I have people that disagree with me and think that the uh, the just the actual book itself has its own mind. But I, I think it's I think it's the person reading it because with without the person, there's there's nothing but a word. So right. the real texture of things comes from the person. But the texture of things also comes from your inner person and the drawings and the analysis you did. So I'm, I'm curious, again, the process. You said it was eight months of drawing and, and creating yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, what was that like for you? Did any particular words sort of resonate or kick off synchronicities? Or uh, was there any, any particular component that was difficult or challenging for you? Um. Th- the early ones were really challenging for me, but that was because I was getting used to the project itself. Mm-hmm. Um, hollowness really, really resonated with me. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like for me, it's it's always been kind of a, I, I think it's kind of an, the fight of every artist to feel relevant and that what they're making is relevant. And it's it kind of made me spin out and question why I was making it in the first place. And whether what I was doing was kind of a hollow endeavor. endeavor. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, that one. That one was a tough one. Um, what? Tell me. So, what was it like to get stuck on that one? Like you, you just sort of doubted the project a little bit, or it just brought up. Yeah, it brought up weird stuff, and it took me. I had I did like five drawings of that one. Hmm. Like it just kept drawing it, and it just kept not feeling right. And that one is actually just the one I liked the most out of all the ones I didn't like. (laughs) So I got that one early on and it resonated super hard with me because I actually had a very formative moment around this in my uh, becoming a wizard phase. Mm -hmm. If if you'll permit a a brief anecdote, Uh, I had just started the medication that was turning my hair white. I was really like moving rapidly into this wizard transformation. And I decided that I was going to stay home by myself and drop acid on Thanksgiving. (laughs) And just, you know, I have the apartment to myself. I'm just going to do this little mini ritual. And 
I really built myself up like I was going to make a bunch of music and draw. And I don't play music or draw. (laughs) (laughs) And I I kind of, I guess, like thought that like on the acid, I'd suddenly just like tap into a flow state. And it was like, no, like I'm still very bad at both of these. And it's not that fun to just like sit around and shake a tambourine. I mean, it's fun for a while, but after a while, you're kind of like, wow, I'm not very good at music. And so I was sitting there and I got stuck in this loop where I was like, I have to define what it means to be a wizard. And I'm like, well, I'm a wizard and I do magic. And my magic I've done has made me into a wizard who does magic to become a wizard. And I just like was stuck in this loop. And finally I had this epiphany where I was like, oh my God, it's hollow. It's a completely hollow idea. There's nothing inside of it, but that's okay because I'm a creative person And as I pour myself into various projects, like as a kid in school, like if I wrote an essay for English, I would write it in like the second person and make it a choose your own adventure. I was like, eventually, as I take on projects, they'll all slowly fill up this wizard vessel and then it'll, you know, you'll be able to see what it is through that process. And so I think hollowness is a really interesting idea. And that's reflected in, I think it's the 10th chapter of the Tao Te Ching where it talks about the emptiness inside of things is what makes them useful. Like you don't use the the outer part of the pot. It's the, the empty part that makes it um, a helpful utensil. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing only has purpose once you've filled it. Yeah. And giving it that space allows it like if this was just a book and you were just like, here's precisely what every single thing means, then it wouldn't be hollow in the way that everyone else can fill it up with their own uh, experience, what resonates with them, what ones they get drawn a lot, what, you know, fears they have connected to a specific thing, what image just personally resonates with them. I think it's a really useful tool in its um, intentional hollowness. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would agree with you on that. It's, it's, it's kind of, I like that it's hollow. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I kind of have learned to embrace that idea that most of the most of the stuff that I do make is kind of hollow and it's filled by the person that experiences it, not by me. Yeah. Tell us more about uh, your your art practice and the the other things that you've made. Uh, I've, I've made about at this point, about 25 books of art and stuff like that. Um, this last year, I've really focused on making oracles, though. Um, once I got done with the the disruption generator, I took a little break did like a palette cleanser by doing a quick comic. And um, then I made what's called the impossible game, which is a dice based Oracle. Now tell me more about that one. Cause you sent that to me as well. And I have not actually had a chance to use it. I kind of fell in love with the disruption generator and then uh, didn't get around to the impossible game. It's a, uh, it's an imaginary game with an infinite board. And you roll two six-sided dice to come up with the spaces your your piece lands on. Okay. Do, do the pieces the, the places send you back and forward kind of a la Candyland, or is each place its own unique element? Uh, each place is its own element, and you just like you you do basically the same thing as the disruption generator, where you roll like th- roll the dice three times and find three different spaces. It's just like a way smaller and a way more like directed because it's not really it wasn't randomly generated. It was more like I based the spaces on the configuration of the pips on the dice. 
Ah, uh, okay, cool. So, like, if you roll a, a one and a six, it was a cart, like a horse-drawn mm-hmm. cart. And it was, you know, I can't remember the spaces exactly. But, so you were uh, kind of thinking about, like, the dice face as almost a symbol and then thinking about what does that look like to you. Right, right. So, like, like, like two ones would be snake eyes in traditional gambling terms, but that could be... Um, I don't know, nipples or whatever else you want to think of it as. That's actually incredibly close to what I did. It was the lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loves nipples. Yeah. I mean, who, who doesn't love nipples? <laughs> now, how has your experience been with the Impossible Game and how does it feel as an Oracle different to you than the Disruption Generator? It's, it's a lot more, it, it comes up with a lot more difficult of readings. It doesn't work quite as smoothly. Um, I don't think it was ever supposed to. It, it works really well in conjunction with the disruption generator. It doesn't work so well on its own. Yeah. Yeah, that one was that was a quick little project I did about six months ago. Okay. And has there been another Oracle since? I am currently working on that Oracle. Ooh, um, can we get a sneak peek? It's called uh, Bottomless Bag. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> this is how we came into contact, I think. Yeah, yeah. I asked you for a list of just out of out of the blue. I asked you for a list of twenty items, <laughs> <laughs> and I it was so funny because yeah, I got a message on Instagram asking me for a list of twenty random items, and I was in the middle of packing my house to move, and I was like, I don't know if I have time to think about this, and I was like, No, wait, I do. I'm writing a list of twenty things that I'm going to bring with me in my car. So yes, I could definitely just take the first twenty off that list. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I sent a call out on Twitter and Instagram and I got 35 or 40 lists from oh, people. Snap. And like I, this was my big reach project where I was like reaching out to people that I, whose stuff I really liked, like writers that I found influential. Like I got a list from, if you've heard of the writer, Steve Aylett, he did, did the book Slaughtermatic, a couple of other like nineties weird books. Um, I got a list from him. I got a list from the guy who created the comic strip too much coffee, man. Oh, nice. <laughs> like just, I asked everybody I could figure out that I really liked. And then I got from friends and I took that list and I've turned it into a pool of 400 items and I randomized the order. And now it's, it's a dice based, you're all two sided dice. And it's a, a lot like the disruption generator where those three items are your cards or those items are your cards. It's you roll two twenty sided dice. And then is it, you take like, it's going to be like one dash one, one dash 20 or two. Ah, Yeah. So there's 400 items. Yeah. And, um, the way I'm imagining it is a lot like, um, like the, what is it called? The bag of holding in Dungeons and dragons. Yes. Where you just reach in and there's just 400 items in there and whatever you pull out is what you're, uh, what's going to help you in your situation. There's a, there's a really weird little board game called The Wizard Always Wins. It's like a modern one. They sell at Target and stuff. But the mm-hmm. whole point of the game is there's like a bag and you're doing all of these moves to put gemstones and various things in. And then you you play as different characters, but it switches every round. And one character, the seventh character is the wizard. And the only thing the wizard can do is draw from the bag. And if you 
if you're played as the wizard and you draw from the bag and you get your own color of gemstone, you win the game. So <laughs> it's all about like maximizing your chances of getting uh, your gemstones in the bag. But then it's entirely luck because you have to take a chance on being the wizard to do it. And if you don't get yours, you kind of wasted a turn. Um, yeah. But I, I like that idea of um, like a, a having a bag of these as like little tokens at some point that I could literally just like put my grubby paw into and, and, and see what I pull out. Yeah, yeah, it was it was inspired by a couple of different kind of things converging at once that I didn't didn't expect to happen. Like what? Um, one is the video game Binding of Isaac. Okay. By uh, Edmund McMillan, where you 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 play a naked baby that shoots tears, and every level is created at random. Like you, every time you play, it's a completely different game. Every power-up is different. Every stage is different. The configuration of the enemies, all of it's different every time. It has occult symbols too, right? Yeah, yeah. A ton of occult symbols. Yeah. Um, and like it's named after a biblical story. Right. But um, there's something like a thousand different power-ups wow. in the game, and you just get them randomly throughout, and you never know if it's going to be helpful or it's going to hurt you. And that coalesced with a reread of the comic book Scud, the Disposable Assassin. Oh, yes. <laughs> and the character Drywall, where he contains like a multitude of items and he always ends up pulling stuff out at random because he's too panicked to focus. So Scud is such an interesting thing because as a kid in the 90s, I never actually had access to the comic itself and read it. I just remember being very aware of this character from like stickers on walls and random things. It was, it was something that kind of like loomed in my understanding, but it was uh, just far enough away that I never actually obtained the comics. But I liked the idea of an assassin that came out of a vending machine. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's an amazing book. I, I suggest you, you, you hunt it down. It's currently in print again. Oh, so. very cool. All right. Yeah. It's 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 an awesome comic. <laughs> I'll have to add to my bottomless bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a common trope that you see in uh, lots of cartoons and Mary Poppins' bag and all of these things. The the sort of you can reach into it and you never know exactly what you're going to pull out. Yeah, yeah, and I it's that, but as an oracle, and I wanted to try to bring as many people in. I wanted to make make it a communal project um that part was kind of inspired by covid yeah and how we're all kind of separated right now it's like why not just kind of try to bring some people together that might not know each other otherwise and so you've been releasing like this in spurts right as like blog posts yeah it's, it's blog posts on uh we the hollow.org um every week i release 10 and if you follow along, you can use every week's release as a mini oracle by rolling wow. a 10-sided dice. And seeing what uh, what one you get for that week. Yeah, yeah. It's like your your own personal horoscope, except your horoscope is going to be like two AA batteries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like every week I'm, I'm featuring like one of the one of the items, like this week's featured item was a plate of mac and cheese remnants. Oh, some Velveeta and egg noodles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What's been your favorite item so far? Oh God, um, I can't even. I can't even think about it. Um, honestly, I'm. I'm gonna 
I'm kind of uh, biased, and I'm going to say all the items my wife made. Mm, smart move. Because <laughs> uh, this is the first project I've actually included a bunch of my family in. Like, my mom made a list. My wife made a list. My three-year-old son made a list. Oh, my God. What's on his list? Uh, rocks, leaves, a cat. <laughs> Just random things. Pretty solid. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> My friend was telling me about how his kid is obsessed with Roombas the other day. And I was like, oh, like you have a Roomba and he's obsessed with it. I, that makes sense. You know, it's, it's at your level. It's roaming around the house. He's like, no, we didn't even have a Roomba. He just got obsessed with them. He was making them <laughs> out of like cardboard. <laughs> we eventually bought a Roomba because of the Roomba obsession. But like... <laughs> That, that sounds like a kid. Yeah. Yeah, my three-year-old is currently obsessed with uh, paper towel and toilet paper tubes. Just the tubes. Like, he doesn't want to do anything with them. He just wants the tubes. Just to hold on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it makes me think of uh, Calvin and Hobbes, which has a similar attitude to, I think, some of these ideas about how do you take something mundane and turn it into a space of infinite possibility. But the uh, transmogrification device and various other uses for a cardboard box, where, again, it's the hollowness that really makes it magical more so than the cheap toy that comes inside of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, do you use these oracles in your own personal life? Do you uh, reflect upon them for decision-making? Uh, not usually. Every once in a while, I'll pull out the disruption generator and give it a try. But uh, for the most part, I, I don't really use any oracles. <laughs> Interesting. You just, you just like to put them out there in other people's hands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, kind of like a toy maker that doesn't like playing with toys. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair and how does randomness and magic come into your art practice um it's it's kind of more of a meditational thing where i just kind of let my it's it's for me magic is really imagination based it's kind of the um uh, i'm trying to remember the term that uh alan moore coined for it where it's the idea space i think mm where I, I just kind of try my best to tap into just kind of the raw idea idea space on a really regular basis. That's uh, I, that term is so interesting because I know that there's like been like what is like the new sphere and a bunch of other ones that people have coined, and I feel like none has really uh, just become the default. Like we can talk about physical reality, and then. I don't know, what did South Park call it? Imagination land? Like, yeah. You, you get into this. And there was at some point that I remember that I felt like I like had one and I forgot what it was. I was like, I had a really clever one that I was super proud of and then it just left my brain and wandered back into the uh, the deep, dark forest of my imagination. Yeah, I think I've had a couple of those too. But I, I, I think it's impossible to really define it. I think that's why there's never been a good term. It's, everybody's reality has just a slight difference to it, you know? Yeah. We all perceive things in our own ways. So I think a unified term is impossible. As much as we share a physical reality, our, our shared imagination space is even more extremely different. And it's it's fascinating, too, to uh, like I've done guided meditations for a room full of people and I'll use sort of intentionally vague language. And then it's amazing when people come up and they describe such different experiences based on the same 
narrow scaffolding of language. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what people come up with. It's when, when, when you're drawing and uh, getting into like it as a meditative state, I know a lot of these you've started with a list. So you're going off a very specific thing. Do you draw to discover what you're drawing or do you start with an intention? Uh, usually I just draw to discover what I'm drawing. Yeah. Like when I have projects, I have to kind of aim it a little bit more. But if I'm, if I'm drawing just for the sake of drawing, it's whatever comes out of my head. It's whatever's there. And it's kind of a new discovery every time. It's a process of exploring and charting that uh, idea sphere or imaginal realm or whatever you might want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like I draw and I make art all the time. Like if I... I 25 it, books? Yeah, you better believe <laughs> Oh, if, if, if you go on my Instagram, I have over a thousand posts of art at this point, I think. Wow. And like I have... I have just piles upon piles of drawings and stuff that I've done and I've thrown lots away over the years. And I think I did a calculation and over like the last five years, I think I've done over a thousand drawings. So it's just always working. (laughs) Yeah. What happens if you don't draw? Are you able to, I can't stop. Like if I, (laughs) I can't, if I, if I stop, I, I I get kind of cranky. I get kind of depressed. You're like the Marquis de Sade, like writing and shit on the walls of his cell. <laughs> if I had to, I probably would. <laughs> so I'm curious, um, is is there sort of like a um, uh, outlet press cinematic universe where you feel like these different oracles come together? Is there a meta system that you're building? Uh, I don't think so. But sometimes it kind of feels like it. For a while, I was kind of cr- trying to call it uh, mundane magic where Mm. it's just kind of taking the mundane and finding the the mystical in it sometimes it feels right sometimes it doesn't like i my one of my favorite sayings is that the only difference between routine and ritual is intent and you know um taking just mundane words and adding a little spin to them can change the experience of them completely. And that's kind of the only real tie that binds all three of them is it's, I've gone more and more mundane with each one of them. Reenchanting the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's the attempt, which it's kind of cemented ever since I had a kid. Like I, I want him to have a slightly magical world, not a constant horror show. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Do you do you feel like you're learning to see the mundane and more magical ways through that experience of having a kid? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like I I used to be a very dark person and my art kind of still reflects that, but ever since I had a, had had my son, it's there's been a a great lightness kind of injected in the darkness. It kind of grows day by day. Yeah, you, you sent me a few of your other comics before this, and there was an interesting theme in two of them where a character dies and basically like dissolves in some sort of psychedelic afterlife and then is reconstituted and reborn. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like I've definitely experienced that to a point. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, What are we talking about here? Is this just uh, psychedelic Um, experiences or? Oh, no, no. I've actually. Darkness of depression. Yeah. The darkness of depression. Like I've, I've always been kind of afraid of using psychedelics mostly because of where my imagination goes. Yeah. Like this is where I go when I'm, when I'm straight minded. I don't even, I don't even know, want to know where I end up if I'm on psychedelics. (laughs) That's very smart and responsible. (laughs) I think, yeah, I think not everyone needs to go uh, squirt lighter fluid on the grill. Some people already have a good fire burning. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't I don't need to burn myself up. (laughs) Now, this this next question is going to lead us sort of into our final question. But what do you feel like you've learned about creating oracles now that you're uh, two and a half in? Um. I, I think the the biggest thing that I've learned is that tradition, when it comes to stuff like this, doesn't matter nearly as much as intent. Like, you can look at a tarot card, and if you try to try your best to like follow the tradition of it, you're gonna get lost. But if you just look at the picture and try and figure out your own definition of it, you're gonna be way better off. And that's kind of like through creating my own things that were kind of giving the finger to, to oracles. Cause in a way I was trying to make a de- deconstructionist oracles mm-hmm. and it's made me kind of embrace the fact that oracles are whatever you make them. It's interesting with the, the, like, there's so many tarot decks today. I bet like, I bet mm-hmm. like, I bet a hundred new tarot decks are created every day at this point. Um, they're like YouTube videos. There's like billions. Oh, and yeah it's funny how they kind of fall into a few different camps, but there's definitely the ones that are the uh, Rider Waite Smith copycats and they pull either all of their symbolism directly from that deck or they do slight variations or just pull a few cards that are based off of, but others aren't. And then others that go in different directions and really try and make something different. But by following that specific pattern, you're really limiting yourself. And I think having 120 components that are all, there's no sequences, there's no suits in this. Like each piece is um, is a single connection to any other piece. There's not um, pairings or groups or things that all fall into one pattern. It's really interesting the way that it kind of breaks it up and, and allows you to create different patterns. Yeah. Now, my final question is gonna be, uh, normally we end the show with a spell, and how would you advise the listeners at home to create their own oracle? Uh, maybe not drawing 120 things, but uh, what's the least they could do to create their own oracle? I think the, the least you could do to create your own oracle is maybe make a list of 20 items and take a 20-sided die and just think of how that helps you either words, items, just think of like 20 things that resonate with you deeply and let those be your guide. Like roll, roll the dice, let whatever, whatever you land on, try to guide you a little bit. Cause I mean, an Oracle is just a nudge. It's not really like an answer. Yeah. I love it. My, one of my, my favorite lo-fi Oracle is the coin flip. I think yeah. you can you can have so much fun using a coin to make a decision. Uh, 
if, if as long as you commit to it. Like you have to treat it like a little bit sacred, I think. But, yeah. Um, then the coin can become extremely powerful. Oh, definitely, definitely. I even have a special coin of my own. So, <laughs> did you make it? No, I stole it from a job. <laughs> nice, even better. <laughs> yep. It's like how like that like that dumb thing about like you can't buy your own tarot deck. Someone has to give you one. It's like you can't have a magic coin. You have to steal one. <laughs> it, it fits for what it is. <laughs> what is uh, what does your coin look like? Uh, it, it I used to work for a uh, a place that made rifle scopes, and it All was right. their their twenty fifth anniversary coin. So on one side it's mountains, and on the other side it's a the reticle for a scope. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was doing a multi month ritual about the tarot, where each month was kind of dedicated to a different card. And on the day of the magician, where I was going out to like kick off this new thing, I went to a magic museum in New York City, and they had all kinds of weird coins. And I found one that wasn't it wasn't a magic coin; it was just a collectible, but had been made by a magic shop in California called Magic City which mm-hmm. is also where I recorded the, uh, not the not the magic shop, but a venue called Magic City where I recorded the first episode of this podcast. So I was like, this is amazing. And it was $8. I was like, great, I'll buy, I'll buy this. And it has a magician on one hand who's kind of like tapping a hat and like a bird's flying out. And then on the back, it has a rabbit that's juggling, but the rabbit's facing away and kind of like cheekily looking over its shoulder. And uh, I've like almost lost it so many times. <laughs> But see, but, that's kind of fitting for a magical coin, though. Yeah. And even just this morning, I was up early and I had a little bit of time and I was like, oh, should I like work on this other podcast episode or should I call my friend? Like, what should I do? And then I flipped the coin and it was like, call your friend. And I was like, great. And I went to check my phone and realized that I had an early work meeting. And I totally forgot about that. It started four minutes ago. And I was like, <laughs> thanks, magic coin. Like, I'll call my friend another day. But like, good looking out. Um <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for talking. I, I've just enjoyed this so much, and um, I'm I'm really excited to see your work continue to evolve as the, uh, more items fall out of this never-ending bottomless bag. Yeah, it's awesome talking to you. I I I, I love everything that you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. It's appreciated. Thank you. For more of Eric's work visit disruptiongenerator.com where you can order your very own copy of the Disruption Generator. And I gotta say, folks, we don't do ads on this ritual. Not even those sneaky, hey, I don't do ads except I love this product and the company just so happens to be paying me to say I love it. Those ads that you hear on other podcasts. But I just want to personally say that I am a huge fan of this oracle. I've really enjoyed using it all summer and I'm confident that a lot of you will dig it too. So go to disruptiongenerator.com and see what fate has in store for you. And speaking of not doing ads, the reason I refuse to do ads is because this isn't just a podcast. This podcast is a ritual, and our magic is made possible by all the true participants who've offered $4.20 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash thispodcastisaritual. We now have more and more bonus content appearing on that Patreon page. So if you've been listening for a while and you really want to get this magic closer into your life, into your core, and open yourself up to the wonder and possibility, maybe throw some $4.20 onto our altar 
and see if that can help us join together in our pursuit of a slightly better reality. The future is always uncertain. There's no fate but what we make for ourselves. But magic is the light and the darkness that helps us find our way. I believe in you. Your magic is real.